All right, there we are. Hello, and welcome back to The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. I am Lori, and I am here with Darren Folger. Um, Darren, I met Darren when he listened to the podcast, I don't know, Darren, how, how long ago? From the beginning. Okay, so that means like from February, March-ish. Um, and he was listening to the podcast and reached out to me as the executive pastor of The Well, which is a church in Amherst, New York. And Darren was wanting to collaborate on bringing more trauma-informed approaches to church-based counseling. Um, so uh, you know, honestly, we had to navigate through a little bit of a process there because at that point I was kind of cautious about connections, frankly, people that were coming to us through the podcast, not really being sure was this going to be a positive or a negative, but obviously we're sitting here today. So it ended up being very much a positive. Um, so I don't know, Darren, can you talk a little bit about sort of how we got here? Wow. <laughs> That's a big question. It is. It is a big question. So... Um being the executive pastor at the well, I joined the staff there at the well in September of 2021. Prior to that, uh, my whole life uh, was in my whole business life, career life was in uh, corporate America. Um, I was currently working in supply chain, uh, a lot of supply chain management and operations management background over the years, and so on. And this opportunity to be the executive pastor at the well, um, I had no idea it was there, and I was approached about taking on that position. Uh, being a pastor was something that was on my mind and heart for probably decades, but it's just another, never something that worked out. I was doing well in the corporate world. In fact, um, why would someone who's working at a company, doing really well, making, making good money, lots of t- paid time off, good benefits, ever want to... Uh, start a new career at this stage in life, but... Um, well, Darren, nobody knows how old you are. What stage in life are we talking about? Um, <laughs> Nearer to retirement than starting your career? Uh, I don't think I don't think uh, retirement for me, I, you know, I, I get asked that question. I, I don't see retirement in my future. Um, in my mind, I want to keep going. As long as I am physically and mentally capable of doing so, I will continue to work until I can't. Um, so... Um, but either way, uh, approaching that age where some <laughs> where people are asking me, "Hey, when are you going to retire?" So, uh, with that said, um, decided after much prayer, uh, a lot of encouragement from close family and friends, uh, to take take the step and become the executive pastor at the well. So that's how I ended up there. The podcast came out. I, I'd been a biblical counselor for oh, ten years or more. And one of my responsibilities at the well was to oversee the counseling ministry, its depth and its growth. And so taking that, when uh, it became evident uh, that what you and Kate were sharing was something that churches needed to grab a hold of and be prepared for and be able to minister to people, uh, that's when I reached out to you. And when I reached out to you, I thought, okay, what are the chances? Because how many opportunities have you had where people... We're reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, uh, can can we talk?" and so on. And then, as you described, you know what you were going through as to you know should we get together or shouldn't we? And one meeting led to another, and here we sit today in December of 2022, doing a podcast, which I would have never guessed. No, but God has a funny way of bringing us to exactly the place that we're meant to be, yeah. without us having any idea that that's what He's working on. Yeah, no doubt. You have important things to share, Darren, important things. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about your journey at the well? 
kind of what that experience has been. So, well, for the people who don't know, um, my time at the well came to an end in November of this year. Um, and we can get into uh, why that happened. But when I started, I mean, a brand new opportunity, something I'd never done, um, not uh, having financial understanding from a business perspective, but never being uh, a COO, so to speak, or, or in charge of finance uh, as a whole, um, jumped into that. Uh, the well was uh, going through some difficulties as far as you know financial setup and documentation and so on. The, the well was working on a, a building project, so there was a tremendous amount of work financially that needed to be done to get finances in order and be able to provide lenders reports that were needed so that they could evaluate you know the financial stability and position of the well and make decisions as to whether they would lend money or not. Um, you know, staff, um, staff development and so on was, was there. I, I've done a lot of that in my career. But, you know, the, the church uh, uh, is full of people too. So all the same uh, people things uh, that exist in corporate America, they certainly do exist in church. So getting to know the people, uh, getting to know the culture. So it was, uh, it was interesting. Interesting. Very gentle word. Uh, it was very challenging. Let's put it, it was very, very, very challenging. Were you surprised that it was challenging? Yes and no. I mean, I really, I really, you know, it was, again, it was a battle. I was very comfortable where I was at in my corporate position. You know, I had a job that as, as long as I kept my nose clean, I had that job uh, as long as uh, I wanted it. Um, unless the company was to make other decisions. So who walks away from that position and starts something new? Well, I guess I do. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so that was a, it was a challenge from the start. Um, some of the things that we'll talk about later were, or a little later on in the podcast here, um, were hard. But I also knew going in that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. This was not you know, a job to walk in and just show up and everything's good, great, and wonderful. So. so you said yes, knowing you were saying yes to something that was not going to be easy. Correct. There's a theme here, folks. Stay tuned. Okay. So, you know, there has been, you know, you are no longer employed at the well. Correct. Um, can you talk a little bit about that process too? Like beginning with like, what do you think people are thinking that that's about? Wow. Um, I, I can't say I know what, exactly what people are thinking. Um, I've had some feedback from folks saying, you know, uh, anything from, oh, I'm sorry that you decided to resign. I can't believe you resigned, to which I respond to people and saying, I, I was released, released from all of my duties. I did not resign. So I think that for those who have reached out uh, in that respect, it kind of catches them a little off guard. Uh, but no, I, I was released from all my duties uh, in the beginning of November uh, of this year. And, you know, the, re the reasons for that were um, that uh, people are being told that I wasn't a good fit, which that's an accurate statement. I mean, I didn't fit the culture. Okay. Uh, I didn't. And, and as we get into the reasons why, I think that will become evident as to why I didn't fit the culture. Um, I also took a very hard stand against a predator that was um, uh, uh, among the people. 
and that led to some uh, understanding uh, and made visual that uh, I was not on the same page with uh, the elders, and ultimately those things, as we detail them out as moving forward here, will just become evident as to why I'm no longer part of the well. So I know, Darren, you had some concerns about sharing your experience here because you would never want people to think that you're just coming on the podcast to whine and complain about, you know, I got released from my duties. Um, So do you want to address that for people listening? Yeah, my concern is this. Uh, I don't want people thinking that this is about me because it's not. This is not my opportunity to whine and complain or point fingers um, because what happened at the well and ultimately what happened with me um, is important for people to know that when you take a stand, there's a cost involved. And when you decide uh, to be a church leader, you know God calls you to it, but you have a decision to make. And when you make that decision to be a church leader, that I think it's very misunderstood as to what that role is, what the responsibility is, and that if you take a stand, that uh, it's going to cost you. And so I don't want, uh, my concern, again, is this can't be about me. This can't be about, oh, poor Darren, we should feel sorry for him, and so on and so forth. Uh, instead, what I would, would rather is uh, listen to what happened, understand why I, I took a stand, understand why there was a cost to that stand, understand that there are big lessons to be learned about the big C church, about leadership, and about the responsibility that we're called to. And so I, I, what I want is for people who have been victims to be encouraged to speak out. Understand there's going to be a cost. What so, I'm, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I want to make sure that I go on record saying, Darren, when he created the outline for this episode, did not include any of his personal story because he has been so reluctant to really have that be something that is a distraction from ultimately the message. So just for clarity, I've encouraged Darren to share his story for the reasons that he has outlined, because it goes to that reality of we have to be prepared to pay a price when we take some of these hard stands, but these hard stands should not be so hard in a a church that is seeking after God. And and another part of that is I hope that the church leaders that end up listening to this will be convicted to the point of going to the Word of God and making sure that they are following uh, the instruction that we're going to get into from God's Word uh, about what it is to be a shepherd. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so, you know, we kind of alluded to um, the stand that you took against a predator. So can you talk a little bit about that man? Sure. Um, uh I'm not sure the exact right time to to make this point, but just so people are clear, the stand I took against this predator was over the course of months of gathering information, having conversations with um, counseling and talking to other pastors who've experienced this particular individual, um, getting getting wise counsel from people that I am very close to who were outside of the situation, but yet could could speak to me to make sure that, hey, am, am I following this biblically? Uh, I have a pastor friend in Ohio who's been a wonderful encourager who, you know, was stood with me the whole way of this stance that I was taking of that protecting the people is the for, first and foremost responsibility of a shepherd. And so 
for the course of months of, of 2022, um, this particular individual was known, um, had experienced some uh, troubles uh, within the church, was known uh, basically in the church financial community, uh, had relational issues, church issues, some legal concerns that uh, you know, were just a part of this individual's life. And so there was uh, a lot of uh, watching going on. We, there was a meeting that was held in the spring of this year with some concerned parents of, hey, what are we doing to keep ourselves and our children safe? What protocols does the well have in place? And so on and so forth. And so I facilitated that meeting. And unfortunately, those parents left that meeting fe feeling very disrespected. Um, and that is unfortunate. unfortunate. Um, they weren't feeling disrespected by me, by, but by other church leaders who were part of that meeting. In the sense that they felt dismissed? Yeah, they felt, they felt like they weren't taken seriously. And this individual uh, had some things going on in their life that, was, that were very concerning. And there were a lot of parents who were very much concerned and so for me, uh, I was in the gathering of information, get, gathering of evidence, so to speak, and working through this. And church leadership was, was aware of, of some of these things that were going on. So uh, fast forward to uh, October of this year, and this individual came to church. Um, they were manic. I mean, uh, it was obvious that they were uh, on something, um, came to church service late, and was very disruptive from the front of the worship space on back. This was the habit of the individual to show up late and be distractive, but on this particular Sunday, it was, it was really over the top. And what we found out after uh, the church service was that one of the things that this individual did was sat down with some, some girls who were, you know, teenage slash 20-something as far as age, um, and stuck his fingers in their jeans, rubbed their legs, which was completely inappropriate and, and, and way too, and, and predator-like. Creepy. Uh, yeah, creepy. And I, f I found this out with, along with one of the other elders, that this had happened after that service. And so for me, uh, I got convicted, like, okay, now it's time to do something. Like, the evidence was there, now escalation was happening. And for me, it was, uh, became evidence that, that a stand needed to be taken uh, that to wait would be sinful on my part because to knowing that this was going on and then if something was to happen and I didn't take a stand, I would, I would have been wrong. I would have been uh, complicit or compliant, and I, I couldn't do that. So that led to uh, a, a meeting with the elders on that next day, which was Monday, which there was a lot of information shared. Um, some information was gathered uh, through some folks, very reliable, very close to the situation of what's going on personally within this particular family. And uh, the decision was made to uh, interview the people who were treated this way in the church service so that we had uh, something, some notes. First-hand information. First-hand information, yes. Um, and then a discussion was going to... The decision was made that this individual was not going to be part of allowed back in the building to be part of church services, and that that conversation was going to be had, and that individual was going to be let that. So, who was be known. supposed to let the individual know? Who was supposed to let this man know that he was not to be in the building? Uh, that would have been the lead pastor. Okay, so he was tasked with 
the responsibility to go to this man and say, you're clearly not okay. We hope you get some help, but for the foreseeable future, you cannot be in our building. Yes. And, you know, also this individual had been offered help. Uh, we've had, we had meetings with this individual and discussions. So um, this, the help was already there should the individual want it. But, you know, what we found was just continual justification and excuses why. No, no remorse or, or godly repentance at all. So no, no godly sorrow. Right. And so you got to that place where now you had this meeting um, and a conclusion was made that this individual was not to be in the building. There was a plan made for how that was going to take effect. And then what happened? So uh, as the week progressed, so the individual, the elder that was tasked to do the interviews with those individuals did them immediately. Um, you know, to, to his credit, he, he jumped right on that, excuse me, and did the interviews and sent you know, the notes so that we all had them. Uh, the next thing to happen was that uh, the conversation had to be had with this individual that they were no longer allowed to be in the building. And so it got to be uh, Thursday of that week, and uh, nothing more had been said or shared other than the notes from the, the interviews that were done. And so I sent an email on that Thursday saying, hey, just so you know, for this coming Sunday, here's my intentions, and I outlined my intentions, my intentions as to what what was going to be how it was going to be handled on that Sunday which was what what was your intention my intention was that if this individual shows up that I was going to politely and professionally meet them at the door and tell them they weren't going to be welcome there and that they had to go and uh, I was going to have security uh, on alert just in case uh, wasn't really anticipating any problems and figured that the that the conversation that was going to be had with that individual that they wouldn't come anyways but just in case that that was the stance I was taking, that I was, you know, I was bound and determined that my, uh, my primary responsibility was to protect people, not the predator. Which we are going to get into the biblical foundation of that. So yeah, hang in there. Okay, so then what? So uh, that Thursday I sent the email. Um, the reason I would send it Thursday, because at the well, the days off in the week are the Friday and the Saturday. Uh, and then, you know, the first day of the work week is th that Sunday. So I sent it that Thursday. Um, got a phone call from one of the elders who um, le led me to believe that there was some different direction that could be taken uh, from Monday's meeting, which I had indicated that I'm not changing my stance. Uh, this particular individual had not read through all of the emails and did not realize about the inappropriate touching and the fingers and the jeans and so on and so forth. Once I brought that to light, then that, that elder agreed that, yeah, uh, the decision to keep that person out is right. And so that was all that I had heard. And so your, it sounds like your take at that point was, Hmm, it sounds like it's a little wishy-washy, not, that there's potential for some backpedaling. There's potential for backpedaling, which I expected from the beginning. Okay. So um, that Saturday came, and uh, from that Friday night into Saturday morning, I received uh, an email stating that uh, the direction was changing and that as long as we talked to that individual and had told them they had to sit down and behave and watch, had security watch them, that we would be okay. My understanding, though, is that that had been the approach right along, and this man continued to come in and be disruptive. 
in the months preceding this event. He had been spoken to. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, so there, so there were meetings, and it was it, it understood and should have been understood that, hey, you know, um, inappropriate behavior is just can't be tolerated. So, uh, and things, even though uh, there were concerns by people, and rightly so, this this particular individual had not shown any sign of of escalation until that particular Sunday in, in October. So, yeah, so the conversation uh, that was supposed to happen about that individual not coming to church didn't happen. And then I found that out via email that I received Friday night, but I saw it first thing Saturday morning. And that led me to call one of the elders and say, hey, I thought this was the plan. They said, yes, it was. I said, well, here's the email I received. So that led to a spirited, passionate phone call with myself and the lead pastor. And I just want to say this. It was spirit. It was passionate. Nobody sinned. Nobody was calling anybody names. Nobody was. But um, I think what was not expected is the stance that I was taking, that no matter what, I am going to stand in the way of this individual being among the people, period, the end. Regardless of what position the elders or the lead pastor chose to take. Correct, because uh, it should be said also that I had spent a tremendous amount of time in prayer and in God's Word and in counseling with others, and I could find nowhere in Scripture, anywhere, where it's okay for a predator to be among the people or be among the sheep. In fact, that if the shepherd lets a predator in, that's a major fail on the shepherd, which we'll get into later in the podcast uh, using, using what I think is a great outline of what a shepherd's responsibilities are. So honestly, Darren, why don't we go there? Why don't we talk about like what, what is God clearly revealed in his word, certainly revealed to you? We can double back to sort of how ultimately things landed with the well and how you ended up where you are today. But this is what you're about to talk about is the context for why you were so clear that you had a stand to take regardless of what anybody else was doing. So can why don't you talk about that? Sure. So a man after God's own heart and how he deals with predators. My references from God's word are from 1 Samuel, Psalm 23 and Psalm 27. So in 1 Samuel 13, 14, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord had com- the Lord had commanded you to do. And so, that was Saul who was not keeping the commandments of the Lord. And David was the man after God's own heart. And remember, it was God who gave David that title. David didn't give that to himself. Mm-hmm. So you know, as I looked at this, I'd imagine that David was trained on how to look after or shepherd the sheep. I imagine whether it was dad or one of his brothers, somehow, some, someone was training him along the way as to how to tend to the flock, probably handed him a rod and a staff, and had given some instruction on how to use them. And more than likely, David was told of the importance of protecting the sheep and that they were his responsibility. The decision that rested with David, however, is the type of shepherd that David would be. That was totally up to him. So... What, do we, what, have, what can we ascertain from God's word about the type of shepherd that David was? And so I just wrote some notes here from 1 Samuel 17, 
35 through 37, you know, Goliath is on the scene, who at this point in time I think is the largest and fiercest predator that anyone had ever stood against. And as we read those verses, what do, what do we find out? Well, one of the things we find about David is that he was a fierce protector. While he tended to the needs of the sheep, his number one goal was to protect them. His scope of protection was to know what was among them, what was beyond them, what was left of them, what was right, what was behind them, and he was, he was always watching. If a predator were to take and kill a sheep, it would be a major fail for David. So hence, when a lion or a bear took the lamb, as, as, as David's account uh, in, these, in 1 Samuel 17, 35 through 37, he went after the predator, he struck it, he delivered the lamb. And then, when the predator arose against David, he grabbed it by the beard. So let's just stop here for a second. He grabbed the lion or the bear by the beard. So reach out your arm and picture yourself grabbing a lion or a bear by the beard. You are in their personal space, and they are in your personal space. What do we know about these animals? They are amazingly strong. Their jaws and their teeth just shred things. The strength that they have in their arms and their legs, so to speak, the, the four legs, and the claws that exist shred, shred their prey. In the midst of that, David is standing in their personal space, grabs them by the beard, he strikes them, and he kills them. There was no hesitation on his part, and there certainly wasn't any negotiation. And they, he was clearly prepared to pay the price. He knew that he was putting his life on the line for the sheep. So the ultimate price, uh, the cost of his life. Mm -hmm. At any time, David could have made the choice to run away. He could have made excuses, which, you know, those are all the yeah buts and you don't understand. Instead, David decided to stand against and fight the predator, regardless of the cost to himself. David put himself in, in, uh, on the line to protect the sheep. So he, now, we, now we come across Goliath, hmm. who I said, well, who in my opinion is one of the fiercest of predators in the land at the time, maybe ever up until that point. David was resolute in his faith. He stood up to the most dominating of foes. He threw off all conventional weapons and chose the weapon that he was comfortable with, uh, if, if you want to say it that way, uh, that, he had, that he felt... A weapon that, that God had given him. A weapon that God had given him, that he had done the work to be an expert with it. So, uh, and David's faith was in God. It was not in himself, and it was not in his weapon of choice. So we, what do we see about David as, as a shepherd? First and foremost, a fierce and violent protector. Uh, what else do we know about him? We know that he tended to the needs of the sheep, so he fed them. And we're going to get into Psalm 23. And he led them. He guided them. He took care of their wounds. You know, he, he would correct their path uh, should it need correcting. So let's jump into Psalm 23. Have you ever asked yourself, what was David thinking when he wrote Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. Stop. Ask yourself this question. What kind of shepherd was David defining the Lord to be? I think that first and foremost, that David was defining the Lord as a fierce protector. That David believed that the Lord would protect him from predators like David protected the sheep. That, that God would square off against our enemies, our foes, 
and our predators, grab them by the beard, strike them down, and deal with them appropriately. That God, that, that God was not going to let anyone knowingly among the sheep, and considering that God knows everything, there's no way that a predator is going to get by God. I shall not want. The Lord has every aspect of my being covered, and then some. We know that from ourselves. Exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or think, God takes care of us, God protects us, and God provides for us. Green pastures and still waters are all about safe and complete care. The food was safe, the food was good, it was nutritious, and so on. The still waters, simply put, that God was never going to lead David, just like David was never going to lead the sheep into violent waters or waters that if they stepped into drink could carry them away to harm. The Lord restores righteously and teaches righteously for his glory and our good. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the times when I am in the valley and predators are surrounding me, you, my Lord, will fiercely protect me from all of them. This, in my mind, is what David is thinking, that though I'm in a valley, that I am... So when you're, when you're in a fight, if you are in the lower position, you are in a, dis, uh, a, a disadvantage. The people that are standing above you in the fight are actually at advantage. So David's saying, when I am in the midst of the valley, at that lowest place, when I'm vulnerable to attack, in the midst of that, God is going to take care of all of those who are against me. So therefore, I can fear no evil. And he's going to protect using, using his own rod and staff and any other means that he chooses. So my Lord will fiercely protect me from all of them. I'm thinking this is what David is, is, is going through in his mind as he's writing this psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. So I would say, in the midst of all the predators and dangers that they bring, my God overwhelmingly blesses me, and all you predators can't stop him. Predators are powerless against Yahweh. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's confidence is in the Lord and his promises. David has firsthand experience in God's protection. Remember, David didn't fight the lion and the bear in his own strength. He didn't fight Goliath in his own strength. So as a shepherd, he knew that not only was he protecting the sheep, but in his protecting of the sheep, God was protecting him. So I say to church leaders, Psalm 23 is your call as to the type of shepherd you are to be, fiercely protecting the sheep against all predators, regardless of cost. And I would say regardless of your relationship with them, regardless of their impact on the church, that if they're a predator, they're not to be among the sheep, period, the end. So then a little bit from Psalm 27. David experienced God's fierce protection of him and took it as a call as to how he was to protect sheep and ultimately protect Israel. Fierce, unwavering protection, regardless of the cost to himself. Verses 2 and 3, When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I am confident. David here declares that God will protect him from all enemies at all times. 
This was David's call as a shepherd and king. Satan desired to and attempted to destroy David, just like Satan today desires to destroy the church. Verse 5, For in time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me upon a high rock. David knew the Lord was his place of refuge. Consequently, David knew that his call was to do his best to protect the sheep in the same way. David, uh, Lord says here, would set him in a high place. How high? So high that the weapons of his enemies could not reach him. Darren, can you talk about how all of that, all of that biblical foundation has informed your walking through this? How it helped you walk through this? It, it helped me walk through this because it, it clearly defined for me the role that I needed to take and the stand that I needed to take, knowing that it was going to cost me. So you weren't surprised that there would be a cost? I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed. Yeah. That's how that works here on, in this life, unfortunately. Yeah. We want to believe that the church will be this. We want to believe that the church will be this. And it's disappointing when it's not. But just because we know that there's going to be a cost doesn't mean that we don't ever have fears or stresses or, I mean, this is not easy. It's not easy to say, I accept the fact that there is fallout from this position. I guess what I hear you saying is that these verses gave you clarity that this was the position that you had to take as a shepherd. And, okay, so I don't know, talk about that for a minute. Maybe we'll cut this, but. So you've talked about as a pastor, clearly you see yourself as a shepherd. But what if you weren't a pastor? What if you were just a guy who knew this was going on, sitting in the pews? What if you were just a guy? Do you think that your responsibility would be different? Uh, as someone sitting in the pews, which I spent most of my church life sitting in the pews, just you know, a short period of time, a little over a year, like close to 14 months as a pastor, I can tell you that in my, all my years prior to that as a biblical counselor, I knew my role was to provide the truth of God's Word, period, the end. It wasn't always well-received. People had wonderful things to say about it, and not so nice things to say about it. But I knew I had to be unwavering in my stance on the truth. Not unwavering with a, with a harsh attitude, uh, done in love, but yet, you know, uh, I often refer to Matthew chapters 8 through 25, and Jesus certainly reacting in love, but wasn't necessarily really nice in what he had to say. You know, he called them a brood of vipers and, and so on. I mean, there's, there's reasons uh, for these things of, of calling out the harsh reality of truth. And so I learned through my time as a counselor that you know, I needed to stand on God's word and his truth and let people make their own decisions as to what they were going to do with it. Do my best to love them, to encourage them, and to, to guide them the best I could, to walk alongside them, to not speak over them, to not speak under them, to walk alongside them. And so for this situation, someone sitting in the pews, I would say to all of you folks who took a stand and said something, that's exactly what you should have done. You saw something that you discerned to be dangerous. And instead of keeping your mouth shut, you, you said something. I think that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Unfortunately, too often today, church leaders dismiss it. 
because these things are so hard to prove. So for all of those folks who have listened to the podcast and they've complained because there's no proof, well, you know, I have a, I have a little bit of understanding of some things going on in childhood to, in, in my own story. And I can just tell you, when a, when a child is that age that can barely read or write, what proof are they supposed to give you? What diary are they supposed to be writing down? And, and back when I was a kid, what, re, what possible recording were you going to be doing? There was no internet. There was no cell phones. There was, there was nothing. And oh, by the way, how does a child process such traumatic things as an adult? They can't. It's impossible. And as you pointed out, I believe it was in episode three, as to how the mind works and why the mind takes these things and hides them. And then they come out when we're in our 40s or 50s. Uh, you know, in other words, in later, a little later stage, uh, or much later stage in comparison to being five, six, seven years old, of life. Uh, but I would say to those sitting in the seats, if you see something that you are deeming is dangerous, stand up and say something. Yes, it, yes, it might cost you. But, you know, I'm, I've just laid out facts. For those of you who want facts... Okay, it's time to pull your head out of wherever it is and start breathing some fresh air because I just gave you facts. I did not, this was not a fictional story that I gave you about someone in a church doing these things. These are facts that these things happen. It's public record. It's public. Look it up. It's public record, folks. And, And so these things happened. And so there's your proof that it exists. You know, uh, have we learned nothing from the Catholic Church, which is part of the Big C Church, folks? For decades, this abuse was hidden, and, and those who were abusing were moved around. They weren't dealt with. Who, where were the shepherds then to fiercely protect those who couldn't protect themselves? So yeah, how I had, uh, uh, and, and by the way, the stance I took, I'm glad I took it. Praise God I took it, and I would do it again and again and again. But yet the price to you, because we haven't really talked about that. You sort of referenced the fact that you were released from your duties at the well. So how did taking this stand go together with being released from your duties? Because clearly there was, um, we were not on the same page. Even though the decision was made uh, that this individual was not going to be part of the church at, at, at the well, um, it came at a cost because uh, the relationship that this uh, that was had with this individual by others uh, in leadership uh, made things very tense and uncomfortable, not for me, but for, for others. And uh, there were some pretty intense meetings that were had with the elders and myself about my stance, the strength of my stance. And it was brought to me several times that so if this were to happen again, and we the elders told you to stand down, you're telling us that you wouldn't stand down. And I just said over and over again that no, when it comes to protecting people, I am not going to stand down. And what was their response? Uh, one of the responses was, we don't understand because if we told you to stand down, you're under our covering, so you would be okay. And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, if you, know, you think there's a problem and we tell you to stand down, if you stand down and something happens, you're not responsible because we told you to stand down, so you're under our covering. Well, um, I rebuked that then. I rebuke that today. I don't. I don't think that's credible at all. That as a pastor, uh, as 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 a follower of Jesus Christ, if I see someone in danger, I'm taking a stand as I did. So I will not stand down. Now think about it. 
when David had a lion or a bear among the sheep, did he tell them to stop and go ask his father Jesse if it was okay to take him out? Of course not. He went into action to protect. Why? Because the shepherd's first and foremost responsibility is to protect. Yes, we go into nurturing and we go into training and we, we treat wounds and so on and so forth. But what good are the sheep if they're not protected? And what good are us if we're not protecting them? Absolutely. So yeah, I, I would take the stand over and over again. It was, it, I was, no one's going to convince me that I wasn't following the Lord and his leading and his word. Because when I asked to be taken to the word where I was wrong, it was not done. When I asked what sin was committed, I was told I hadn't committed any sin. So then why'd you lose your job? Because obviously there was a difference between me and the elders uh, on how this was supposed to go and what my attitude should be. So when they say, listen, when, when they've said to people, uh, he wasn't a good fit, that's accurate. And thank God for it. Thank God for it. So I hope that people are, who are listening are feeling challenged, encouraged, um, I don't know. I hope this is giving people an opportunity to think about shepherds. And we tend to have this picture of shepherds as carrying the the sheep on their shoulders and like the sweet version of the shepherd. But what Darren is highlighting for us is that that is only part of the picture. The other part of the picture that we don't tend to think about is the fierce protector. Um, and we need fierce protectors. We need people willing to take hard stands to not sit down and shut up because somebody else tells them to when there is a predator among the sheep. Um, and it's unfortunate that this kind of a price had to be paid. Um, but it's very clear that it was necessary. And I hope that folks listening will be encouraged to take stands of your own. Um, and also check in with your church leaders to find out what kind of stands are we taking? And where's the biblical foundation for whether we are or are not taking stands against predators? So are there other things you think people need to know before we're done? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Not that you won't be back. <clears throat> well, you know, going back to David, David felt safe and secure with God as his shepherd. Hence, you know, I think church leaders are called to provide the same type of safe and protective environment knowing that God has their back. You know, we seem to be living in a society, and not everybody's going to agree with this, but I think some will, that it seems like some of the roles have been reversed where sheep are protecting the shepherd instead of the shepherds protecting the sheep. And while the sheep should be standing up for and loving on and, and certainly look, watching after their shepherd's back, the primary role of protection is the shepherd. But also, you know, getting back to what you said about people sitting in the seats, what should they do? And I said, speak out and take a stand. You know, who's responsible in the household? You know, God has put the shepherding responsibility on the husband and wife in, in varying capacities. You know, the, the, the husband is the spiritual head of the home and so on. But, you know, as a team, they should be doing this together. And what would you do to protect a predator, your family from a predator that's standing at your door. If the wolf, the lion, or the bear are standing at your door, are you going to let them in? 
And is your reasoning going to be, well, you know, they were abused as a kid. They're just acting out. It's not their fault. Really? No, you are not. I'm thinking you're not letting them in the door. I sure hope not. Why would they be allowed in the church? Because they don't look like predators. So, you know, we you hear a lot about woke, the churches being woke. And for those who don't understand what woke means, willingly overlooking known evil. I would like to change that and call it WICNE, W-C-N-E, willingly confronting known, or K-E, known evil. Um, because I think that we are called to take a stand and to confront these things. And it's not pretty. It's not easy. You know, one of the conversations going back with one of the pastors, you know, this particular pastor from another church, you know, confrontation was was not one of his things, but he knew that he had to confront this individual personally and also in regards to the church and had to separate himself from this individual and separate this individual from the congregation because this individual was continuing to move down a path that was not righteous. And I think, too, it's enough. No more political correctness. Calling out sin as sin. And when someone's a predator or acting like a predator, to call it out. Are they saved or not? That's not up to me to judge. But if they're acting like a predator, that's a problem. And we're not talking about people who are struggling themselves. No. We're talking about people who their their personal struggle is now becoming something that puts the sheep at risk. We're talking about people whose continual, deliberate, habitual pattern of their life has become one of a predator. In this instance. Yes. And enough of making excuses for it. So, you know, when when we look to love on the predator and minister to the predator, well, how does God do it? Not how does we do it. He didn't ask our opinion. He gave us instruction and commandments. And until that predator is broken and surrendered to Christ, they're a predator. Period. Right. And we are God's expectation of us is that we will love them well by telling the truth. Yes. And holding them accountable. And when someone when you have a meeting with someone, whether it's in an official capacity or whether you're having a cup of coffee or a meal, um, just like Matthew 18, and you confront them and say, hey, look, I see this going on in your life. It's not good. It's sinful. And their reaction is, yeah, buts, and you don't understand, and justifications, that's a problem. Your pres- there wasn't something wrong with your presentation. That individual's revealing to you that there's a problem. And they're not going to change. They're not going to change. And so you have instructions in Scripture. And then, you know, we follow through that. Now, look, I, I understand. There's people who are, will look for a predator uh, in a sanctuary under every seat. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. This is something that is... You know, I'm talking about the things that are clearly out there. Look what the podcasts have revealed and are continuing to reveal. And then what you and Kate are going to continue to reveal over the course of time. Uh, you know, it's, just, it, it's an ongoing process. We have had so many people come to us to say, yeah, everybody knew that this person was a problem, but the shepherds, whether they are shepherds sitting in the seats or shepherds in leadership, didn't do anything about it. And and men in society in this world are continually being dumbed down, and it's happening in the church. Mm-hmm. Now men, if, if they take a strong stance, you're being too harsh, you're not being loving, and so on and so forth. Well, in this instance, taking a stand was the right thing to do, and more people need to start standing up. And I really hope that people are convicted by this 
And I when, I when I say people, people sitting in the seats, people who are you know, volunteering in ministry, pastors and elders, I pray that the conviction falls and that the result is re, uh, godly sorrow and repentance of like, yes, that we, we have not been doing this well. We have not been protecting well. We have been putting people in danger, and no wonder why people don't feel safe at church, or no wonder people won't go to church. We can't trust what's coming out of the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good hope. I do very much hope that people are listening and are challenged. So I guess that's a good place to, I'll say end, but maybe pause for a future episode with Darren. Thank you for being on the podcast, Darren. I know this has been months in the making, really getting to this place. Um, so thank you all for listening. Um, please visit the ugly truth about the girl next door. If you have, uh, comments you want to share information you want to share, we have a website and, uh, all the social media things. So thanks for listening.